Psalm 69. Open your hearts now with faith to receive this as the holy and inspired word of the Lord. To the choir master, according to lilies of David, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth for clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation, Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. 
For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we are focusing our attention tonight, especially on verse 30 of Psalm 69. It says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. We have asked this question before in looking at other psalms in the morning service. Here's the question again. Who is the I here who is speaking? Who exactly is it who says that he's singing and magnifying God with thanksgiving? Who is it? The New Testament makes it very clear that it is our Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who is speaking ahead of time through King David who himself was speaking through the Holy Spirit as the inspired prophet of God to testify ahead of time the sufferings and the glory of Jesus Christ. And the New Testament makes this very clear to us. For instance, when Jesus cleansed the temple in John's Gospel, in chapter 2, the disciples made sense of that kind of radical event by quoting Psalm 69, verse 9. Zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus clears out the money changers. And the disciples are shocked by this. And John writes, Then the disciples remember that it was written, Zeal for your house has consumed me. It's Jesus, filled with zeal for Almighty God and zeal for His holy house. When Jesus hung upon the cross, all four Gospels record that He was given sour wine to drink. In fulfillment of Psalm 69, verse 21, where it says, For my thirst they gave me sour wine. And in John's Gospel, it says that Jesus said the words, I thirst, in order to fulfill this scripture. That it might come about, as the prophets foretold, that what he himself, as the word of God in heaven, spoke ahead of time through David, would come to pass in sacred history. If... Those verses of Psalm 69 are explicitly about Jesus in an ultimate sense, then we better recognize Jesus in all the other verses as well. In other words, in verse 30, Jesus is the one offering a song of thanksgiving to God. This is Christ's song of thanksgiving to his Father in heaven. And in a brief reflection on this tonight, I want to point out three things about this Kind of wonderful and lovely detail in the midst of a very heavy psalm. I want us to look first at the purpose of Christ giving thanks in this psalm. What's the reason why Jesus is saying thank you to God in this psalm? It not only gives us a very specific prophetic picture of Christ clearing the temple and also his suffering on the cross. But this psalm also depicts his resurrection and his glory. And that's the purpose for Jesus' song of thanksgiving. That's why Christ is saying thanks and singing a song that's magnifying God in thanksgiving. You can see this in the shift from verse 29 to verse 30. In verse 29, Christ is still there in the throes of his suffering. He says, I am afflicted and in pain. 
But he prays to be delivered from it. Still there in verse 29. He says, let your salvation, O God, set me on high. So from the midst of his suffering, in the deepest, darkest pit of suffering, Christ prays to his God that he would be set up on high. And it is a prayer that he would be raised. And verse 30 proves that his prayer was heard. He's no longer in pain, but instead he is depicted here as singing. Giving thanks to God that by his power he's been delivered from suffering and from death. Resurrected and raised on high. That's the purpose for Jesus' thanksgiving in this psalm. That is why Christ himself, though he was a man of sorrows, was also a man of gratitude. Because he knew when he called out to his heavenly father, the father would certainly answer. And he has certainly answered in raising Jesus Christ from the dead, the first fruits of a new creation. And if Jesus has not been raised bodily, truly, historically, then we are most of all men to be pitied, as Paul says. But in fact, Christ has been raised. The ultimate occasion for giving thanks as Jesus himself exemplifies. That's the purpose of Jesus giving thanks in the psalm. Secondly, we recognize the perfection of his thanks. When Jesus prays, they are perfect prayers. Have you ever thought about that? Prayer is difficult. Uh, Luther said that essential in the act of prayer is wrestling. You meditate on God's word, you wrestle with it, and you wrestle with your own ungodly desires and your own distractions, and you bring those things, that wrestling, into the throne room, and you pray. It is hard work. And our prayers are never perfect, but when Jesus prays, they're perfect prayers. And when Jesus sings, they're perfect songs. All his praise to the Father is spotless and pure like the Thanksgiving sacrifices from the days of the temple. You could bring what was called a peace offering or a a fellowship offering to the tabernacle or to the temple, and you could give that to the priest to lay it on the altar. And of your own free will, you could set aside a portion of this offering as a Thanksgiving offering. And Jesus shows us that these offerings had to be perfect. That was stipulated in the law. You couldn't just bring any old animal. You had to bring an unblemished and a perfected animal to be offered up to God. And Jesus has always offered prayers and thanksgiving in just such a manner. Truly perfect, without blemish. And in fact, in a profound sense, his own death is that perfect thanksgiving sacrifice. Not to mention the fact that Jesus here is depicted himself praying with words, singing a song of thanksgiving to God. And these prayers and these songs to his Father are always perfect. Listen to what Jesus' prayer of thanks is like in John chapter 11 when he raised Lazarus from the dead. This is in that moment when he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. John 11 verses 41 through 42. It says that Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He didn't have to say this. 
He said it out loud so that we would know that when Jesus prays, he is always heard because his prayers are always perfect. Always acceptable in the eyes of God in and of themselves. His prayers have merit. They're like pure gold. And Jesus says here to his father, thanking him, by the way, and he says, I knew that you always hear me. The next words out of Jesus' mouth are, Lazarus, come forth. And the father hears and answers. And the father and the son with the spirit raise this man from the dead. Take it from Jesus then, brothers and sisters, that when he prays, when he sings songs of thanksgiving, the father never fails to hear and respond. Our Savior gave thanks when he was raised from the dead. That's what Psalm 69 is telling us here. He gave thanks when he was raised up. And he continues now to lead his church in songs of thanksgiving as our ascended king in the heavens. The book of Hebrews, in a magnificent way, depicts Jesus as the worship leader in heaven. He is conducting every true worship service. We're just following him through his word and by his Holy Spirit. He commands choirs of angels and all the angels and all of the choirs of his saints in heaven above and on earth. He's the one leading, leading the prayers, leading the singing as our ascended king in the heavens. Jesus says in verse 29 of our psalm, as he is praying from the pit, let your salvation, O God, set me on high. He is praying that God would not only raise him up out of the grave, but set him on the majesty on high, the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And that's where he is now, leading our worship. That's where he is now, perfecting our own praise. Because Jesus is the obedient son, when he asks for something, it is a perfect asking. And when he thanks his father, it is a perfect thanksgiving. And this perfect ministry continues on, now glorified in the heavens. Everlasting thanksgiving from the son to the father. That death did not have the final word, but that he's been raised the Lord of life. And we are caught up in this ministry of thanksgiving. But only because his thanksgiving is perfect. It is the perfection. The, the, the gold standard of all praise and thanksgiving is found in Jesus Christ. Lastly, this evening, we learn the program for giving thanks. As we look through scripture, we recognize that thankfulness is one of the Bible's main commands. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that one of, the, one of the premier problems in the world is that we don't give thanks. We have traded in the glory of God for images of creatures and creepy, crawly things, Paul says. We've made idols, that is to say. And we don't give thanks to God. It is the, it's like the core of our issue is that we don't have gratitude. He's given us life and breath and the world and all things, and we can't muster a thanks. And so it's one of the Bible's main commands for the renewed people of God to begin giving thanks. For all things, all the time. We heard it in our reading from the commandments in Colossians earlier. Whatever you do, 
Give thanks to God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul says it again in a similar and, and broad way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I want to relieve you, brothers and sisters, of trying to figure out the will of God. God's will is that you give thanks in all circumstances. That you give thanks in all circumstances, not just good ones, although we fail to give thanks even in good ones, but that we would give thanks in all of them is the high and holy calling of those who have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. And we stumble in this calling every day. We're pretty good at complaining in all circumstances, but giving thanks is a different matter altogether. And Scripture gives believers a different program to follow in order that we might begin to offer thanks to God like we should. Here's the program. We thank God through and for Christ. We thank God through and for Christ. Thanking God through Christ means that when we offer thanks to God, we do not do so by ourselves, but in union with Jesus Christ. You need this union because you need the perfections of Jesus' prayers and the perfections of Jesus' thanksgiving in order for your prayers and thanksgiving to be acceptable in God's sight. You need to be at one with your ascended king. This is what Paul's getting at when he says, your life is hidden in God with Christ in the heavens. You've ascended with him. You're one with him and you need this union because you have to offer all your things through him. That's what Paul says. Whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, give thanks to God through Jesus Christ. He's the mediator. All praise and thanksgiving must come through him. And there he stands, brothers and sisters, in the heavens for you, mighty to save and faithful to intercede when you come with your thanksgiving offerings. When our thankfulness is meager and unfocused, Christ perfects it and makes it acceptable in God's sight. He upholds us and he sanctifies us so that we would become more faithful in our songs of thanksgiving to God. So we thank God through Christ. Take your mind there when you're struggling to give thanks. Bring it to God through Jesus Christ. The second step of this program is that we thank God for the work of Christ. So we thank God for everything, whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking or anything, thank God through Christ. But also we thank God specifically for Christ, for what he has done. If the Savior himself gave thanks for being raised from the dead, we should also give thanks for Christ being raised from the dead. And this is what he has done for you. He has been raised. He has a new body. And his new body, this resurrection body, is a token of your resurrection, which is to come. So when thankfulness feels difficult, remember that you were dead in your sins and transgressions, as Ephesians tells us. And God has made you alive in Christ. And through your union with him, you can now sing songs of thanksgiving and magnify the Lord with your praise and thanksgiving 
because you've been raised and you will be raised. Brothers and sisters, as we gather tomorrow for our national day of Thanksgiving, and as we gather hopefully around a table with loved ones for all the blessings of our common life in this nation, which are many, may your hearts also be lifted even above those very good gifts. Christ has died and been raised for you, and he is now there in the heavens. He is perfecting your songs of thanksgiving. So offer your thanks to God through him. Amen. Let us pray. O great God in heaven, we thank you for the grace secured for us in the holy conception and birth of the Savior. We thank you for his daily obedience, his humble prayers, his kind miracles, his tender-hearted provision. We thank you for his most holy suffering in his daily struggles, his pleas for help, his drops of sweaty blood, and his unjust trial. We thank you for his passion on the wood of the cross, where his body was broken and his blood was shed, for his low estate in the tomb, where he took our sins and cast them into the depths of the earth and into the heart of the sea, where his resting body awaited for your spirit's revival. We thank you for his triumphant resurrection from the dead, whereby he justified us and trampled down death by death, for his bearing witness to the 500, for his instruction of the apostles, so that through them he may lay down the foundation of Holy Scripture. We thank you and praise you, O God, for the raising of Jesus' hands to bless the peoples as he ascended into heaven, whereby he was raised to glory and almighty power into the presence of his Father. We praise you, Father, for his session at your right hand, for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, through whom we have the adoption and the gifts, for his intercession for the saints, by which we are kept in the palm of his nail-pierced hands, for the glory of his reign, which is a sure token of the glory that is to come for us, and for the promise of his return, when all things will be made new. And even as we write, ask you to write your word upon our hearts, Heavenly Father, we say with the Spirit and the Bride, come Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.